The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining. All right, and you guessed it, Mike and I finally did it. We opened a bar. <laughs> no, of course, we're, uh, we're coming to you from the site of Technica Mining, which means only one thing. Our guest today was president of Technica, Mario Grassi. Mike, I thought it was a great, great time. It was, yeah, and this was uh, something that we alluded to is in the in the works for us for a while. I think oh. when we started the podcast of like community and he industry guests, like he was at the top of that list. And I think last fall, when he spoke at the Innovation Greater Suburb, like we've got to get him on now because I think he kicked things off, and I think the work that Technic has been doing in the community for the yeah. past you know twenty five years, I think speaks to. Where, the, where we're trying to build that culture, right? Because this is the type of company that we want in Sudbury yeah. and we want it to stay in Sudbury. And so I think the work that Mario is doing with Technica, but now in the community, it was inspirational. I think that's kind yeah. of why we really wanted to make sure that of all the times that we were trying to get him on the pod, like it was that moment that kind of really hit home. Well, and we slugged through, uh, through sleet and snow and... It whatever is. other postal worker reference I could make. Yeah, what Steve's not get, saying to the, the viewers and the listeners right now is that it is snowing outside, and he is worried about, A, driving road home. Beds. <laughs> well, road beds. Road beds, for sure. We're all worried about road beds. <laughs> uh, but he knows there's a lot of shoveling waiting for him. So yeah, I think yeah. what he's trying to get at is, let's move out of the intro Well, the, the only thing I wanted to say about Mario before we, before we do jump in, and we will jump in in just a moment, he's waiting on the other side of me, is that... Um, uh, one thing I want the, the listeners to note is that after we ask him about the cool things he does or the important things or the innovative things, you'll notice that it's because it was the right thing to do is a lot mm -hmm. uh, is like hidden at the bottom of every answer. And I think uh, that's uh, that's just a good motto to have as a, as a community member and as a business owner. So without any further delay, here's Mario Grassi. Okay, we're back and we're joined by president of Technica Mining. Mario Grassi. Mario, so, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Good to see you guys again. Thanks for having us here. Yeah, I mean, what a great setting. Uh, people don't know it, but there's a blizzard outside, uh, but uh, very warm and engaging in here. Um, one of the things we like to ask our guests when we sort of start things off is, is sort of a what you wanted to be when you grew up question, but I'll ask it in a more uh, uh, a smarter way, I suppose. So you obviously come from a family that's, uh, that's pretty well known as an entrepreneurial family starting and growing businesses. What is it that you saw as a somewhat fresh graduate uh, as a gap in the market when you decided to start Technica? What, what gap were you filling? That's an interesting question. Um, I actually wasn't looking to fill a gap. I wanted to do something differently. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't think that a new business idea was going to make a difference. What I thought was going to make a difference was how the company was put together, how the culture of the company was set up. Um, the reason I had left the family business is because um, I wanted to do something on my own. I loved where I came from. That would have been the easy route, but I was also the oldest of four boys and, you know, very close with my dad. And I kind of, you know, I look back, I left out of pure respect because here I was, this punk kid coming out of university with all these ideas, changing my father's business. Meanwhile, he's the guy that built it from the ground up, and I just, I didn't feel that I deserved to tell him how to do things. I thought what he did was great, but I also felt that I deserved a chance to do it my own way as well. So that's how I ended up starting on my own. Yeah, and what was it in mining that you sort of noticed, you know, said, this is where I think I can have a success with a, with a company? So I got, first had the opportunity to work underground when I was 18 for yeah. my father, and it wasn't just working. Back then, 
you know, there was, it wasn't as legislated as it is today. So at 18 years old, I was the superintendent. So I actually went and ran my first job at 18 years old and I loved it. So working in a family business that was in heavy industry, I had the opportunity to work at the mill. I had the opportunity to work at smelter and of course work underground. And there wasn't even a contest of where, if I wanted to start my own business, where it would be. I loved the underground environment. There was something to me about that ability to be alone and the core value of integrity, knowing that I had to do what I said I was going to do, even though no one was going to watch me or the possibility of somebody watching me do my work didn't exist because you were, you know, at the time, 2,500 feet underground and two kilometers in, no one is going to see you work. But I love that satisfaction of going to do my job knowing that I could do it without being babysat or overlooked and that it was a great quality job and coming up from underground, just that, you know, that whole experience of seeing the light of day or at nighttime, it was just the smell of going underground. There just, there's <laughs> something about underground that I yeah. fell in love with. Yeah. That's funny. Cause I, uh, I actually spent a couple summers as a confined space guard for Anmar. Okay. So I had my experience of the smelter, like doing the shutdowns. And uh, there was something about that too, where like, I don't know if it was the camaraderie of like knowing that you were with these guys for basically like, Sometimes it was like six weeks straight where like you didn't get a day off. You just worked your, your shifts and yep. then eventually the shutdown ended and that was like a big celebration. We're finally done working, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if there was anything I was ever going to go into, if it didn't work out on the path I was in, there was a time when I'm like, maybe I should just do this. Yep. I ended up sticking it out and I ended up going in a different direction. But those summers were, were a good time. and uh, Good money. Everybody yeah, worked money. hard. Great yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, obviously speaking about uh, Technica to kind of start things off, you know, just looking at the company's website, you know, when you look at the about section, it talks about how admittedly it started off as a small underground construction company, but now, you know, it's obviously a big contractor here in Ontario for the mining industry. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one thing to grow, but I think it's one thing to manage that growth over the last, you know, 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how the company has grown from that small, you know, construction company underground to what it is now and, and how you've been able to manage that growth effectively so that you can keep moving forward? To me, the biggest tool that we used in managing growth um, when there's no need to grow obviously it's not hard to manage you know we're in a violently cyclical industry so when you know it's slow it's it's easy to manage it's when it's busy mm -hmm. that the the best tool that we used was um, consistency we had a platform that we really believed in when we first started the company and that platform is based on five core values that you probably heard or see on our webpage. we knew so it's 25 years this year uh, being in business. We knew way back then, and I say we because I still have some of the core people that were with me when I first started, that people with the five core values of respect, integrity, courage, honesty, and humility, we can provide the training and the time necessary to develop skill. What we can never do is bring in good quality people with strong core values. So where we really struggled was 2011 when the first gold uh, spike to plus 2000 north of $2,000 US announced. We really struggled. We couldn't find people to save our lives. Had we wanted to and chose growth over sustainability, we could have easily been 1,200 employees. We stayed at 300. And we did so by choice because we would bring in people that we didn't know, even though they had great skill set. If we don't know and they don't fit our culture, we knew that it would be a bad form. So we just stuck to, all right, we'll grow at a pace. Um, based on us and our ability of finding good people, not about skills and experience. And then, of course, how do we develop skills and experience internally once we get good people on board? I think that's one of the five pillars, the courage to do that, right? Because, 
you know, like you said, you could have swelled to 1,200 with folks that you didn't vet properly, you didn't mm -hmm. know just for speed. Uh, but being choosy, you know, is something that takes courage when, when you know you're looking at the contracts that are available for you out there, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and you have clients that have deadlines. Yeah. And we've gone through moments where we're on critical projects and the clients see that we'll, we'll actually have removed people from role because they didn't fit in. And it was very counterintuitive to our clients. They just didn't see how we could let, for example, somebody with 25 years experience, let them go mid shutdown. Um, and the answer is very simple. The formula doesn't work because if that person causes a negative impact on your culture, you risk the success of the project. And more importantly, the name and sustainability of the culture that we're trying to build. So for us, it was really easy. It was about maintaining that culture and not being greedy because it's easy just to add bodies and, and increase revenue at a time when gold is, yeah. like I said, north of 2000. <laughs> um, but that, that discipline of staying consistent to our true values was the, the best thing that we could have done. Yeah, and I'm going to fast forward a little bit, but I think um, that we, it'll tie back to, the, I think, your core values. I played football with a guy by the name of Craig Tyson, uh, who, you, who you may know. Um, and, uh, you know, we were talking about how your, your son plays football, and this is a football contact from way back. And I was at PDAC, I think it was uh, last year, and he said, Steve, I got, I, first of all, I'd never seen him at PDAC before. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, you know, I got something I really would like to tell you, but it hasn't gone public yet. It's gone public now. Uh, you've recently, uh, well, somewhat recently, earlier this uh, last year, announced uh, that you've entered into a partnership agreement with the Tikmikshing, Sagamuk, and Wanapate First Nation to start a new business. Mm -hmm. And we just wanted uh, you to sort of unpack how that happened and, and, and sort of your why for doing that and where you hope to see that partnership going as it unfolds now. Yeah, no, that, that is a good question. I get that a lot since that announcement. Um, it's kind of a simple answer based on core values, but if you imagine... Everywhere we work, so we have an office in Valdor, Quebec. We have an office in Timmins. Everywhere we work outside of the Sudbury Basin, it's proper practice for us to partner with local Indigenous communities. Now, being born and raised in Sudbury, I went to school with kids from, which used to be, which is a tick machine now, used to be Whitefish Lake First Nation. These are my friends. These are people that I grew up with. And as I get older and wiser, I know how my businesses run outside of Sudbury, but in, in my backyard... Mm communities that touch the lands we work on were benefiting very, very little. And it really didn't sit well with the integrity piece of, uh, of our core values. So we had reached out to the three communities. We were working on a project with Valet. It was the first time uh, Valet had asked for an Indigenous content piece. And we didn't know how to put it together in a short time frame um, in that RFP process. So we made a very bold statement and said, we're going to form a 51% Indigenous-owned limited partnership with the three communities. And we had submitted that in our proposal without even uh, having a formal conversation with the communities. And we did that because we knew it was the right thing to do. And so back then we did it based on a single small standalone project. And so fast forward months into the project, months into the negotiations with the partnership, we're really, um, we're really gelling. We're really mm -hmm. seeing the value, how we can benefit each other. And the friendships are far, I mean, how do you not become friends with Craig? <laughs> yeah. And so when you look at three communities that have incredible people, it's easy to build a relationship. And then the, the last, I would say, cornerstone stone for us was, I would say when the project was coming to an end and we knew that the partnership wasn't going to get additional funding because it was based on a singular project, 
that's where we said, okay, this isn't cool for us. It, it's not cool that we continue to work on the lands and just because it was contract specific and the contract's over, the communities now stop getting money. And so what we decided to do is that anything that Technica touches within the Sudbury Basin will fall under ADLP. ADLP's uh, benefit goes to the communities. So in about the 18 months that we were together, $300,000 probably would have been associated with that specific contract, but you know there's about 1.6 million now that it's gone to the communities. So it makes me feel good because I know it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you see this as something that you think could be replicable in other parts of the country? Hopefully that this could be like a... I, I, actually, we're, we're behind. There's some parts of, of uh, Western uh, Canada that are further ahead than we are. Yeah. So it should be replicated. Mm -hmm. um, it's complex because sure. we're working directly with the communities and there are, other, um, there are other Indigenous businesses that want a chance. And so one of the things that we viewed ourselves as, a, as an incubator for indigenous businesses. So for example, it's very difficult to get on and be a qualified vendor for Glencorn Valley or the bigger companies. And so uh, with ADLP and Technica being qualified vendor, we then can be that incubator for young or small or new indigenous businesses say, okay, work for us. We'll teach and mentor you on the back office end on how to work for big companies. In the meantime, you get cash flow going, you get your feet on the ground and it's, you know, the design is to be that incubator to get these small uh, entrepreneurial uh, indigenous businesses out the door. That's great. Um, switching gears a little bit though, um, and again, you're a car guy, so I think that works. We always use that transition switching in podcasts, but sometimes oh it works God. more than others. But, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the things we, and we were kind of talking a little about this uh, before we came into the, to the office today uh, with you off camera, but right now, critical minerals is everywhere. We're talking about, you know, national critical minerals policies. The province has a critical minerals policy. Obviously, the city is getting in tune with critical minerals. You're a forward-thinking executive, you know, who's been in the game now for, you know, 25-plus years this year. What is it about critical minerals that we're not talking about, right? Because you always hear the talking points out in the media. But what are we missing right now that we're not talking about that could prevent us from kind of seizing this, this generational opportunity that's before us? Hmm, that's a good question. I think what we're missing is the downstream, the whole, the whole notion of securing critical minerals, that supply chain piece. I think as a province and as a country, we maybe have missed the boat a little bit. Um, my view is as a car guy, you, you don't put the money at the car. You put the money at finding the fuel to fuel the car. And if we're going into a transition and that fuel is going to be uh, base metals for battery power, then we need to secure the actual supply because we're not securing by building more output we're defeating our purpose of trying to find a critical mineral strategy to secure supply chain so i think in my opinion money should be better focused on startups mining startups uh, mining companies that are at or near production at or near permitting level that's where the extra that's where the focus should be and and i think as we talked earlier is we have to be wise and understand that Necessity is the mother of all invention and hanging our hat on electric vehicles only could be a mistake. There is no doubt in my mind about the need for critical minerals, mm -hmm. not a doubt in my mind, whether that critical mineral is used for hydrogen power, or whether it's used for other sources of uh, f um, fuel strategies, we still need copper, nickel, cobalt. So tying it to EV could be a mistake in the event there is replacement technology because it doesn't negate the fact that we do need those critical minerals. And if we stick to the notion of critical minerals and the whole spirit of securing supply chain, that would put Sudbury 
um, in a place better than anywhere in the world, in my opinion. Maybe, Jen, I was just about to say we're going to dig a bit deeper on that, but that's also another pun. I mean, Do it. Maybe edit it out but, uh, and, and answer this however you want. But uh, when I think about, it's not necessarily just the investments we're making in, you know, the big three automakers or anyone who's, who's looking to set up in Ontario. It's not just about the sort of funds that are flowing to help those. Would that same approach help mining? Is it a cash injection thing or is it, is it everything firing on all cylinders, to use another pun? It needs to be like red tape. It needs to be permitting processes. Is it everything that, that needs to, to be focused uh, to secure that, that supply chain? Yeah, it definitely is everything. Yeah. It's not a, a silver bullet. Pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> it is an ecosystem. So we're talking about quicker permitting. We're talking about faster turnaround times for approvals. Uh, we're talking about some capital. Yeah. We definitely need some capital. I think a really uh, interesting possibility, if there are any uh, provincial, federal government uh, people that have the authority to do or consider this, like reintroduce tax incentives. Mm -hmm. I mean, back in the 80s, we had flow through at the corporate level. We still have flow through shares at the personal level. But if we had flow-throughs at the corporate level, uh, we're not going to use our tax dollars per se. We indirectly use them, but put those monies directly into exploration. Because we, when we're in a violently cyclical industry, I will argue that nickel, for sure, and I, and I can't really comment on copper, but I've been really studying nickel. Nickel's been in a depressed cycle since 2015. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the prices today, I, they would pretty much... Uh, agree with my theory mm -hmm. so and if you look at the average and I speak average because it's important to understand that it, when you fact check it it'll be difficult to find but speaking on average the down the downstroke cycles last anywhere between obviously zero and three years if we go back to 2015 it's a long time that nobody's been putting real true exploration money into into base metals so we really need to ignite that if we you know i think we're lagging on that piece yeah. um the clutch is slipping we could use all the automotive <laughs> analogies but we but it is an ecosystem for yeah, sure there's yeah. no doubt about it's it. not just a matter of saying hey we have these industrial parks in formerly agricultural land no. do you want to set up a battery plant it's it's a bit more complex i think uh, to to get the same kind of investment and, and movement in the mining sector than it is the auto sector mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. Um, I want to talk about a large gentleman that scares me every time I, I might uh, have pissed him off, but uh, we're, we're uh, very close to getting Gus Miner on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you just talk a little bit about Technica's support of uh, Sophie and what they're doing and why worker health and safety, if anyone ever comes to this building, worker health and safety is in everything you do here mm -hmm. and it's part of that culture. Can you just talk about... Sophie a little bit and, and, and the culture behind that and how that's, uh, you know, permeated through through what you guys are trying to do. Sure. Um, that, that was a bit of a journey. So it started, um, I would say back, the original journey step started in 2008. So in 2008, there was an, there was an experience that we had at Technica. We had a young worker underground. Uh, the MOL inspector was attending the site, looked at the young worker and said, what's your lineup for the day? And the poor kid was deer in headlights. It's no different than us getting pulled over by an OPP officer. We, we all have that intimidation mm. uh, experience. And so the poor kid, he's like, I don't know, I don't remember, I don't know, I remember. And I remember uh, he was a good, became a good friend. The inspector came up from underground and called me at my old office and let me have it. And I won't be explicit as I'll leave out, <laughs> but he let me have it about letting this young worker work untrained and um, without proper information. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
So back in the day, we faxed them the <laughs> MTCU transcripts, and then they went in the trailer, and of course, there's a lineup for the day. So we had everything done, but that was back, uh, so 2008, everybody had a 3G or plus uh, iPhone, or you went to uh, whatever the smartphones were coming in, and I just thought, man, this is archaic. Why, why are we not having this on, on our person? Like this, this is readily available. We tell a story back in 2008, we're showing pictures and we do this. And <laughs> it's part of the culture in a way of being, but at the same time, we're in an industry where the demographics at Technica were, were difficult because with the average age for us back then was like 55 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, most use flip phones. So the adoption mm-hmm. was not there and we weren't admittedly ready, nor were the mindsets uh, allowing us to have cell phones underground. I mean, that everything had to be verified and controlled. So fast forward to 2015, 2016, we're at Glencore. There was a uh, another contractor on site that was struggling a little bit with safety, and Glencore was allowing them to have tablets underground. So we just looked, and it may have even been Extrata, so that's how far back <laughs> we went. And so us being geeks, we looked and said, oh, can we use that? And Glencore was incredible. They said, not only can you use it, here's the company in town that we're using to put this together. And so we geeked out over it, and we started with one supervisor and then one crew. And we started with this Frankenstein hodgepodge kind of digitizing our safety. And we realized that adoption was kind of perfect because we weren't rushed to do it. We just knew it was the right thing to do. So one supervisor going paperless, and then it caught on. It was the second supervisor wanted to do it. And then we had to really Frankenstein the system together because it was like this ad form builder and this formware and piling it all together and trying to make them work. And the company was called Safe to Do, or not the company. The, the program we called it internally was Safe to Do. And if you know minors, they're not really good with acronyms and they'll make fun of it. So we know, knew that that couldn't be a name. But more importantly, what we learned were two things. One, digital was the way we had to run our business. Um, and two, we knew then that the second the afterburner, the turbo on us, wasn't really going digital. It was what we did with the data once we got it. So the decision was made in 2018 that we are going to 100% go digital. We went to market and we went to see what was out there, what was available to us. And there was some pretty good software out there. The problem was that nobody wanted to help us with the data. Nobody cared about data. The, the big step for their digital transformation was going from paper to paperless. For us, it was no, no. It's once we get the data, what do we do with it? So because nobody was helping us with this, uh, Gus at the time was, uh, he, had, he was our IT provider way back when, and we became friends. He wanted a change in career. He got on here, started you know, on a jack leg, worked all the way up to superintendent, which we totally knew that that was going to happen. <laughs> and so I looked at Gus and said, uh, what do you think? We'll build this on our own? And Gus said, 100% we're going to build this on our own. And so Technica's role in Sophie was we put in initial seed money. Um, we, we obviously kept the percentage ownership of the company, but the rest, it's a, it's a group-owned, privately held company. Our real role in Sophie was to break it. Our real role for the last five years was to beat the crap out of it, to really battle test it, and we did. You know, you know it's like working underground. Some mines we have Wi-Fi, some mines we don't, and there's a lot of information that we're able to capture at Sophie. Um, we were able, I think it's probably one of the best synergies you'll ever find is a software that's designed for mining, being able to use in a mine, um, most importantly built for our workers. Mm-hmm. So the, the number one thing for us, well, there's a few, I can't say the number one thing, there are a few key things for us, um, that were really important. One was to make it user-friendly. We wanted the workers, every single one of our workers to know that this was about them. 
and is about making their life easier and faster. It was making their life less complex. And as you move up, especially at our supervisory level, our supervisors are subject to a lot of responsibility, a lot. And so one of the unintended benefits of Sophie is that when it's used correctly, I look at it as a circular motion, when it's used correctly and clockwise, we identify hazards and then we put controls in place so that we can do our work safely. In the unwanted event that somebody gets seriously hurt, we flip Sophie around and it is pure diligence that we did what we said we were going to do. And so when we have supervisors leave to go to other contractors, they actually feel, they feel that exposure. They feel that they're not covered by a document that may or may not exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it's really powerful. That in combination with, you know, getting in the predictive and prescriptive side of safety, being able to predict injuries or accidents before they occur because that historical data will show that that's more likely than not going to be the case. That's where we're really driving towards Sophie. So the fit between the two of us is Gus builds it, we break it. He <laughs> rebuilds it, we break it. He rebuilds it, we break it. And now, touch wood, it's working really well. And the data from that is insights. And I think that's that's the, yeah. that's the holy grail for any tech startup in, in this day and age, right? Oh, absolutely. In, and, and even beyond the predictive side, just... From a cultural piece, the ability to us to leverage our culture is very important. Um, we now track the data, and it's a perfect X. And the X represents our number of incidents coming down to a very tolerable level. And the other side of that X curve is the number of touch points and reports. We finished last year with 232,000 inputs into Sophie. And truly, that's about a 200, 250 users, because some sites we still have to follow their, their um, safety programs. But there's no questioning the data. The data says the more we have touch points, the more that mm -hmm. we can connect, the better the culture, the happier the worker, the more productive you're going to be, and ultimately, we're working safely. Yeah, that's number one for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Steve and I have had you on a list of guests we wanted on the podcast probably since we started. Um, and then, you know, I think we were all, uh, well, the three of us anyway, and people listening to this, hopefully mm -hmm. we're at, uh, the latest innovation in greater Sudbury. And we were talking about the innovation blueprint and you were one of the speakers. And I think after your remarks, Steve and I both turned to each other and said, okay, we got to get him on the podcast now for sure. Not that we, you know, we were trying before, but I think that was kind of the crystallization for us with the, some of the words that you were saying that night. Um, you know, the thing that struck us the most, I think, was when you were talking about how we're all in that room because we want to see the city grow. We want our community to continue to be innovative and do more innovative things to attract, you know, these, these businesses so we can kind of keep growing and, and becoming that community that we know we can be. And one of the things you mentioned was that to do that, though, we all have to get uncomfortable in, in some way, right? Whether it, like, coming together, we're all going to have to, I think, maybe kind of check our egos at the door and be willing to do the things that maybe up until this point we haven't been willing to do. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that further and, and what you meant by getting uncomfortable and what we all as a community need to do in order to help, you know, the Sudbury realize some of those goals moving forward? Yeah. Um, well, having experienced that as a, at a corporate level, change is hard. Um, you take that at a corporate level or a municipal level, uh, personal level, change is difficult and it becomes uncomfortable. Some of the examples I could give you about uncomfortable is that our wants and needs as individuals within the community may not really matter what's best for the community. You know, I would, I would love to see uh, indoor soccer facility, multiple indoor mm -hmm. soccer facilities. I would love to see that, but is that what's best for the community? I don't know. There are people who would love to see the you know, the Kingsway Entertainment District be developed. Great. There's people that would love to see downtown being developed. Great. What we need to focus 
is outside of our personal wants and needs, what is best for the city? And I don't have the answers. I mean, I'm far from being an urban mm-hmm. planner. Um, but I do know a city, no different than a company, a successful, sustainable company, needs a good culture. And I feel that the culture in Sudbury might be in need of an adjustment. We need a shot of humility. Um, we need a shot of work ethic. There's a lot more things that we could be doing better. Mm. And that's where it's going to get uncomfortable. I think our, our mayor, we're very lucky to have Mayor Paula Fave in office. I think he's accomplished more in office in his, in his tenure so far than the last, uh, certainly than our previous mayor in his, in his uh, two terms by far. Um, I, he's, he's got a long way to go still. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two sides to an income statement. Um, so now we've got to look at the cost side. That's where it'll get difficult. I, I have my own personal views, but again, I'm not a, uh, I don't run a city, so it's not fair for me to comment. But in general, um, you need to look at your costs as well as uh, your dollars coming in. I, uh, I think I thought I knew what you meant by uncomfortable, but that, how you put it there is, is really good because uh, I always sit back and say, well, we should do this or we should do that, but that's Steve Ravel's opinion. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of that is, you know, we have to rely on data. So you said you're not an urban planner, but we should rely on the folks yes. that have done this for thousands of years at cities, right? Is that is that sort of where we should go? Uh, this should be a data-driven approach. Yeah, it's it's data and culture and experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I look at what it was like when I built this building, just the, the, just the experience. Um, there's an experience as an entrepreneur that um, I've shared with Paul and the rest of the community. Up until Paul took office, the thought of building a new building or creating something new here gave me anxiety because I knew the red tape. It is opposite to what I experienced in North Bay. Mm -hmm. North Bay was, how do I help you? What can we do for you, Mr. Grassi? Is there anything else we can do? And whereas you go to the city here, you know, up until recently, it's like, oh, well, you better do this and you better. It's more punitive. It's very punitive. It was exhausting. Just the whole notion of thinking. So. That doesn't cost money. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, we're yeah. talking about $0 yeah, yeah. to change a person's experience. And to me, I thought I would be a perfect target market. I'm still relatively young. I'm born and raised in Sudbury. I love this place. I want to put money into it. But I also don't want the headaches. Like mm-hmm. I, I, wa- I don't want anything for free. I don't want anything shortcutted. I just want you to keep up to the speed that I have to live in. And if you could do that, this city is going to be insane. Yeah. In, in, in a good way. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important uh, to be engaged, though, because you could be looking at just inside your business. You know, I'm going to run this business as good as I have been. And, you know, the community is, is what it's going to be. But, it, you know, it was really important for folks like Mike and I and the rest of the crowd to see you're up there and that you, you care. You know, you could, you, could, you could bring Technica anywhere around the world and set up a head office. But mm-hmm. the fact that you're engaged is, is so important. And, and thanks for doing that. No, uh, no problem. You know, it was, it was actually inspirational. And usually when you get a bunch of bureaucrats in a room together, <laughs> if, you, if you don't have industry folks there, it's not too exciting. But um, you've already been so generous with your time and the time you spent with us before we started recording. Um, so thank you for, for again for doing this. Uh, one of the things, uh, you know, you started a mining construction firm. You're spinning off startups like Sophie. Uh, do I dare ask what's next for Technica or maybe even what's next for Mario Grassi? Um, more of the same. Yeah. I, I, I really love the people in the industry. And, you know, we get to meet fantastic the collaborations that we've had both at Technica and Sophie with Cambrian have been incredible. I love the people. Um, 
more of the same, probably some more tech. We're working on some really cool stuff with digital twins. Um, not reinventing the wheel, just applying technologies in other industries. So in F1, yeah. we got to meet some incredible people through that McLaren team. Mm. Uh, McLaren Applied Technologies, uh, Deloitte's. They're working on Siemens. Uh, we're working on some really cool stuff in other industries, but just applying it to mining. Yeah. All data-driven. Yeah. You know, if you look at a mining or a development cycle, it's drill blast, muck, bolt, drill blast, muck, bolt. Um, current practices... A, a midnight night shift decision is made by a skilled and experienced supervisor based on best practice. But what if that decision is right for the shift but not for the entire project? Mm -hmm. So we want to know through modeling and digital twins what every single decision is going to be made based on data. Mm -hmm. So what happens if the decision to keep the scoop at the face to muck was good for that shift but then I have a catastrophic failure two days from now? And if we would have put ourselves back a year ago, I wouldn't get a transmission for nine months. <laughs> so what may have been a singularly good decision at the moment, was it best for project? Yeah. And so implementation of data, um, sorry, uh, data using digital twins, modeling, forecasting where projects should end, what they're going to cost. As you know, there's been a lot of projects, big pro capital projects in mining that have been difficult to finish on time, on budget. We're in a very dynamic market. So... Um, refining what we doing, what we're doing here at Technica and then spinning it off to others is definitely going to be um, something that we're looking at. So technology is big, maybe some new pieces of equipment from other industries that we're going to be using, um, more value-added service to our clients. That's awesome. Yeah. And maybe uh, roadbeds one day. Definite big fan of roadbeds. <laughs> one day we'll find a way to do roadbeds properly uh, and inexpensive. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for joining us. We thanks, had a great guys. time, and thanks for yeah, hosting thanks, us. No, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, see, that was a great interview. We're yeah. still here. We're again, I don't want to leave here. This is I think we might be staying definitely there, right? one of the nicest offices I've ever been yeah. to. Definitely the nicest office on the podcast. Paul, is this the best Absolutely. place we've shot at? 100%. Yeah. Paul says Paul yes. Paul says yes. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, uh, but what they've built here at Technica, I think yeah. speaks to the culture that the company has created and that's a difficult thing to do. I think that one of the things that I'm probably most struck by that interview is talking about how at a time they could have grown exponentially yeah. to capitalize on that, but it wouldn't have been the right thing to do to your point in the intro that again, a lot of these decisions were data driven. Mm -hmm. They're driven by, you know, what, what is fair and what is right and not just let's do this to make a quick buck. Yeah. So I think that's admirable. And I think that's something that a lot of other companies and organizations in town, could take a cue from, but uh, while I'm heaping praise on, on on Mario and Technica, I also wanted to heap some praise on you because you know you did something today that that I'm really proud of. Um, what did I do? You backed in to the Technica <laughs> okay. parking lot before we came here today, and we know if you've been to Technica, you know this rule that you have to back in from a yeah. from a safety perspective. And and Steve here again, a, yeah. a, a competent, able driver. Yeah. You know, he was he was worried about what what circumstances would lay before him in the parking lot, but he handled like a pro, well, can like I an F one driver. Yeah, maybe, like much, well, if they're going backwards, <laughs> something's wrong. But uh, what I will tell you is that what I was trying to avoid was backing up in front of someone. Oh yes. And of course, you were right behind me, so I had to do it in front and of you. What was but I you, doing though? You were laughing. And I was were, giving you a thumbs so up. Is that what you're doing? I was like that okay, meme guy with the keyboard. Okay, like at the you're cheering me on. I was trying to encourage Anyways, you. Anyways, but I will say this: what an easy departure now I have ahead of me right? because I just leave. See. Yeah, so maybe there, maybe there is something to it. I think there is. We yeah. tried at Cambrian, but the problem is, in a busy parking lot like that, yeah, it's just sometimes not sustainable. Yeah, feasible, I should say. Maybe but in the future. One day we'll okay. get there. 
Well, we're backing out of here now. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. And uh, that was the Unlikely Innovators for this week. The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining.